Welcome to Cooking the Books, the food and hospitality podcast discussing all aspects of the industry. We interview chefs, butchers, farmers, brewers, winemakers, restaurateurs, restaurant managers, and we talk about how they got to this point through the good times and the bad. We discuss what motivates them every day and what they've got planned for the future. This is Cooking the Books. This week on Cooking the Books, we have my wife and business partner, Rebecca Bell. She explains how she made her first steps in the pursuit to becoming a sommelier before being cut short to have our baby. She also breaks down one route to getting a wholesale product to market and talks a little bit about cash flow, account systems, and explains that you don't need to know it all. If you just take one step in front of the other, small steps and eventually you'll get there. As well as explaining how she got into the industry. I think this is really beneficial for people who are thinking about starting a wholesale food product and trying to get it to market or people who are thinking about who are in the restaurant business who are thinking about how to get into the wine. Hopefully you'll find it really beneficial. Now, over to the show. Right. Well, thanks very much for doing this on a Sunday evening. No problem. Uh, I want to go right back to the beginning, to how you got into the industry, getting, yeah, what was your first job and how did you get into it? I did languages at uni. That was in Manchester. From there, really, I didn't know exactly what direction I wanted to go in. I knew long term, by that point, I knew that I was going to move up to the northeast of England. So that was kind of first and foremost, geographically, I was going to move. And then also long term, I knew at that point that you would have a business at some point. And at at the time, I thought it was going to be restaurants. So it seemed logical to try and get experience in that field because prior to that, I hadn't had any restaurant or hospitality background or really work with food at all and so as you know but as I guess most people don't know you were starting at Jasmine Dean House at the time so I knew that it was it was a new opening it was going to be a high quality small boutique hotel with a really good standard restaurant as well Um, and so that seemed like a good way to get experience for the future I didn't really know whether it was going to pan out as a career path but it was definitely a good way to find a bit more out about the industry and if you did end up having somewhere and if I was going to be part of it at least I had a few strings to my bow. So what was the job you got? So I um, I saw on their website that they had, um, what was it called? Oh, a graduate trainee program and that's what a lot of my friends were doing but not necessarily in hospitality. Um, so when you came out of uni that was a natural progression to have. Um, you know, Is you that like out- a, I guess it's like a fast track apprentice yeah, yeah, I guess so. It's it's a apprenticeship, assuming that you've got a bit about you. Bit so you more, if you've got a degree or what? Well, you're a bit old. So I guess an apprenticeship is probably when you're a bit younger. So, I mean, I was still only 22 at the time, which felt been, old, but I wasn't 16, yeah. fresh from school. So yeah. I'd lived away from home. I'd got some life skills. Well, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of knew how to look after myself. Like I had a bit more about me than when I was 16, so you would like to think that you would pick it up a bit quicker. Um, Whether or not that's the case always, I don't know, but I mean, they kind of, they certainly hope that that's the case when they take you on, I'm sure. And what was involved? So I started out um, on the hotel side. So I did roughly, I can't remember the exact time span, but I started out with reception and then events, so like reservations, 
um, and then went to housekeeping. I oh, did something, did some stuff with the rooms ops manager um, who oversees reception and housekeeping. Uh, I did a bit with the housekeeping team and then went to the restaurant and then from their functions. And then I think I went back to reception. But anyway, it was basically just um, over about 12 to 15 months of basically trying to get a good overview of the departments. And I guess long-term, if you wanted to stay in hotels, then you would decide from there which department you wanted to specialize in. I chose restaurants and from there went to another um, business within the group that was exclusively a restaurant. It wasn't attached to any accommodation, but kind of applied what I'd been doing in events. So this place was moving locations. They were taking on a private dining room and having a bit more of a formal host position. So that's kind of the role that I took on. And then from there, just stayed in restaurants, but then my next job was in Sydney. Just before we get to Sydney, what skills translated well from uni and, you know, coming from that area into the into restaurants or into hospitality? What I don't know, really. I guess being able to... Computer skills, maybe? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true, actually, because back then, I guess just being able to apply yourself. Public speaking at university. I, I, I don't know, I've never been, but I'm... Do you do presenting and things like that? Yeah, yeah, we did. And a lot of it was in a foreign language, which made it even more. So it wasn't just public speaking. It was like, okay, the public speaking was the less worrying thing, to be honest. (laughs) It was trying to remember what I was trying to say in in a different language. But a a lot of it, I guess, was, um, was more so gained from the fact that as part of my degree, I had to go and live abroad for a year. But that gave you a lot of confidence. Yeah, and it was kind of like... Well, if I can survive that, like service, um, as a lot of people who are listening will know, is really high pressure. And although I certainly wasn't in the service in that kind of in that on that short term deadline, the pressure to find somewhere and not be homeless in Italy was was, was pretty full on. So what we're saying about so the the, the skills deadlines and all these kind of things that help from uni yeah and, and i guess uni is quite and... administrative like yeah, having to yeah, yeah, yeah. do a lot of administration yourself so when i was doing events and that sort of thing that's like a lot of paperwork and that kind of side didn't wasn't daunting which you know i know a lot of people that go into yeah, it be hospitality yeah, yeah, for sure. not even just chefs but a lot of front of house people aren't paperwork focused it's not art and drama <laughs> <laughs> well yeah they're just a bit more they're more people 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 persons yeah or yeah more creative and I'm not that I'm not a people person but I'm not particularly creative so um so yeah I guess I could apply myself in that sense so then you said you went we, were, we went to Sydney together didn't we yeah yeah and you worked at Rockpool and Key there yeah so we were on the work and holiday visa so um you may cover this previously I don't know how much no. you've no okay so um very briefly it was 2008 so 10 years ago this year um we got we were on the work and holiday visa which for brits coming to australia at the time i'm not sure if it's the same now you could get a 12 month visa really easily and but yeah but you had to change your job is it still the same i think it's okay yeah probably um though with brexit it's pretty contentious (laughs) (laughs) um so you've got 
you had to change jobs after six months, which I guess in a lot of industries would be a negative, but for hospitality, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's maybe not so, so good for the, the For the employee, employer, not ideal. The employer, the employee, it's, it's, you can leave without any drama. Like you're not, yeah. it's not like handing your notice and everyone knows this is the date you've got to be gone and that's it. It yeah. works really well. It's pretty standard. I mean, I guess you've got this situation now having worked in Australia for longer, you, you can see people not wanting to take on too many yeah. backpackers. And I certainly didn't consider myself a backpacker, even though we had arrived with backpacks. So technically that was correct. But I didn't have the outlook of I'm here for six months only. Yeah, I don't give a shit. In. Like it's, yeah, I was definitely there for the yeah. right reasons. And then you would, we, we both end up finishing off in the Rockpool group. I finished off in Rockpool by and Grill. Yeah. And you finished off at, uh, uh, what was it? It was Rockpool, Rockpool on George at the time. It had yeah. just changed. The original Rockpool. Yeah, the original yeah. one. So I think it had just changed from Rockpool Fish. Yeah. So that's going back a while. And then it was Rockpool on George. Mike McEnany had just left and Phil, Phil Wood had just, started, had just taken yeah. over as head chef, yeah. Then we went back and then we, we we went back to England and did some bits and bobs. Yeah, so we went back to work, we went back and did a stage and then we went back to work for the same group that we'd been working for before we moved to Australia. So we boomeranged, Yeah. apt reference, we boomeranged <laughs> back to um, the northeast of England, but a slightly different area. So we moved from working in Newcastle to Durham. I forgot about that stuff. I, I didn't mention about that. Were you the first? I think you're the first. I think probably the only yeah, this one. Is gonna make, this is gonna sound like I'm trying to blow my own trumpet. This is not as flash as it sounds, but long story short, um, the fat duck had done one of Neil dinner. Perry's dinners, yeah, yeah. one of the Starlight Foundation dinners. Yeah, it was, yeah. And so you, Rob, had organized um, a stage for when he for when we got back I to England. Himself up. Yeah, Rob hooked himself up, <laughs> and I was just left floundering and jobless. And so I was like, "Well, if Rob's going to go down, and if he's going to be getting accommodation for a few months, then was it, it was quite cool. Explain how, how that whole yeah. So they had an amazing it. system set up. Really, obviously, they've been doing it a long time, and they know that the majority, if not all, of the people that stage with them are going to be travelling if not from elsewhere in the UK, definitely elsewhere in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so they had an amazing stagiaire program set up and I'm sure that's still the case. It's probably got even better, but... Not just within the restaurant. I know you get into that and I'm not trying to push you, but not even just within the restaurant. Like you say, they would send out a lot of information. This is the surrounding areas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was... Yeah, so it wasn't... Yeah, when I say program, I don't just mean day-to-day in the workplace. It was like a full package. Like, you know, they didn't book your breakfast but they gave you contact um accommodation contacts as standard and it was like you, there was top class wasn't there was like i don't know like 250 dollars a week it was pound a week there was 170 yeah. do you remember there was like different tiers and then there was like ones where you can share like a board yeah like, there was different options so there was if you yeah. wanted to stay in a hotel if you wanted to stay in like a b&b a bed sit <clears> sort of thing so me. we ended up staying with um a lady called jane with which robbie garlic was there wasn't he as well yeah so so that panned out really well. So anyway, so this lady had this beautiful house in Maidenhead and heaps of spare rooms because her kids had all grown up and moved away. So um, so that she had what turned out to be the pastry chef, Robbie yeah, Garlic, yeah, like from um, the Fat Duck. He was there long term. And who, what was the waiter? Yeah, so then Robbie and I were there temporarily for a few months. Yeah. And then there was another front of house guy who'd started relatively recently, Tom. Yeah, Tom. I'm gonna. S- I think his surname's Aragonis. Yeah, Tom. It is. Tom Aragonis. Where is he now? I think he's. He's in France. Um, 
like kicking goals. Yeah, he was awesome. He, was he went awesome. on to he went down the sommelier route, but he got like staff member of the year twelve yeah. months later or something. Like he, he was a nice guy, such really a nice guy. Nice guy. Um, so, so that, Robbie, to be fair, yeah, and Robbie, Robbie of course, Robbie. yeah, yeah, can't forget. We love Robbie. you too, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was that was really good because straight away, when you know when you do get there and you're absolutely terrified, you've got a familiar face so even, they're not there to hold your hand but it's someone to say hi yeah, to yeah. and it, when you're sitting down for staff lunch it's not as daunting yeah because you already know a couple of faces yeah there. and then yeah. and then Robbie who's like the friendliest most welcoming person going yeah. would be like oh guys this is yeah, oh yeah, Robbie's yeah. in my accommodation and he doesn't have to say any more than that but it's just it's a nice segue yeah. in yeah. and you were the first person ever to do a start I think I'm pretty sure I was the first front of house star yeah, yeah. which sounds like really impressive but it didn't feel that impressive at the time so I looking back I took quite a bit of initiative which I don't feel like I've got that much initiative now but um I worked out I looked at the website and I worked out that all of the staff members email addresses I worked out what their email addresses were so it's, so I worked out the HR person's name I can't remember whether i been told it no I couldn't have been told it at that point just, tell, we them, in just tell them the email address I'll just tell you her name and her address and, yeah um and she was another amazing lady anyway that's another story so I worked out her email address sent her an email and said look this is my CV I'd be really interested to come along and do a stage and she got back and was like yeah sure which I could not believe at the time because I know it's really common with chefs but front of house you are a lot more exposed well yeah the, and especially there's, there's, there's in the kitchen there's other rooms or whatever where you don't have to be actually impacting on the service yeah mise en place is much more yeah, of a big exactly. thing and there's someone can really look over you and make sure that you're not you know any mistakes can be ironed out before they yeah get to the and because of the nature of the kitchen i've always thought this about you know the this is a different topic altogether but between front of house and back of house hours the way the chef's roster is structured is always so different to front of house because there's only so much mise en place you can do front of house. Yeah, like yeah. how many tables are you going to set? Yeah. And how many sugar bowls are you going to get ready and napkins folded and all that sort of thing? Like I was like, you know, I didn't think I would get the starch because, you know, it's a small restaurant, front of house, you very small much... Small space and everything, isn't it? Oh, it's it tight. It, well, yeah, yeah. I know they've changed it since then, but it's ultimately yeah, a yeah. teeny tiny room. So I got there, I basically thought, well, I'll just polish glasses for a few months. That's like, but that's fine. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I was more guys. than happy to do that because it See was more about was. seeing how a place like that operated. And not being left out, obviously. Cause I well, was, and not missing out on the jolly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't want to polish glass for three months for free? Yeah. So, um, but no, I did want, I'd, you know, we'd been at Key, I'd been at Rockpool, and these were both amazing restaurants mm. but in Australia so it's like well it's be nice to see how that operates more in a London style mm. because it's not far from yeah, London yeah, and also like one of the best restaurants in the world who doesn't want to yeah. be who doesn't want to see how that works yeah definitely so um yeah so we go down there as you know the story we got down there on the Sunday night to start work on the Monday and I must have slept probably yeah. the worst night's sleep of my life yeah, because I was so terrified that I was going to sleep in and I was terrified I wouldn't, I'd forget my pen or like, just like all of the worst case yeah, scenarios that have set you up for crap days in the past, you convinced are going to happen on that day. So I got you there. You have to shave on the morning as well, the fact though. Yeah, and oh, yeah, you're given Not like you, the, I think you should be, you should I be I didn't right. have to the shave every before. day. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but I can't remember there was loads of little things rightly so that were specified and I can't remember if it was beforehand it must have been beforehand like front of house and I'm sure it's the same in the kitchen you're not allowed to wear aftershave or perfume yeah yeah because it is the multi-sensory thing yeah. and they're you know they are spraying things around the table who wants yeah, no garlic perfume? or onion in the no staff garlic food. or onion in the staff food which they didn't tell me beforehand so yeah. I didn't have to worry about that yeah, yeah. but it was and I, I was just like oh my god what if I forget what if I cover myself in like a really strong whatever perfume wearing I was wearing at the time yeah. Um, luckily I didn't do Only any of use things. Aldi toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my shoes and socks, hairbrush, pens, paper. Um, and I got there probably like 25 minutes early. Which you think's a good thing, but actually... Oh when man, you're it's in the a, worst thing yeah, for the, whoever had to train me that day. Hey, fuck, I was trying to get my shit sorted. Yeah. And you've come early, now I've got... A, no, now you're just going to yeah, set me behind. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to have my coffee in peace and now you're here. Exactly. Shaking. But you did get a few great opportunities there and, the dig, and you got on to doing a few things. Oh, it was me. unbelievable. Honest to God, I couldn't believe how much they integrated me and you, but especially never having had someone front of house before it was just unbelievable they yeah. were so welcoming they didn't treat me like an idiot even though i felt like one we went to london for the day and did tea training with them oh yeah yeah, yeah. we went to um heston and that guy um, that did the pregnancy thing you remember the the, the girl? we didn't get pregnant no. <laughs> no the guy that designed the first yeah so the guy I can't remember his name now, but there was the guy who I did actually happen to create the clear blue pregnancy yeah, test. Yeah, well, he wasn't there to discuss that that day, no, but no. they did a training session on. Multi- was it him? Was it him? Who yeah, it was him. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So he he works with Heston for all of the scents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, don't quote me, but um, I'm sure someone would have a lot more more accurate information than this. But from what I remember, this guy. Well, he was a scientist first and foremost, and he worked with Heston creating this, like, the smell components yeah, yeah, yeah. of the dishes. And we got to go to the talk, and, and that, so didn't yeah, we? so yeah. him and Heston get well, him primarily gave a talk, and it was, it was so interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, and they invited us to the staff, put their Christmas staff party, which was a few weeks after we left, which we couldn't unfortunately go to, but like we made some oh, lifelong yeah. friends. Yeah, yeah, Considering well, we were there for such a short time, yeah, 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 it was sure. unbelievable. And you know, yeah. even other stagiaires obviously on at the restaurant we're still friends with them now yeah yeah exactly which is amazing yeah, 100% it was a, and that was the culture a, that they the, have yeah, the culture makes it a great you know we would walk home I'd walk home on my own down that dark alley and that you know for the thing. and I would think to myself you know as you're walking home after a big day and that I would think you know I feel like I'm playing like what it must be like to play for Liverpool or Chelsea or you know you, you yeah. know what I mean you're playing for the you're being part of a team and you did feel part of the team oh, even though yeah. we weren't a proper employee who we were just stagiaires you, they definitely made you feel like you were part of a team you know yeah, and, hugely. And one of the best teams in the world it was yeah it was phenomenal yeah. but you got the opportunity to do wine with oh is, god is, yeah Isa yeah Isa, so yeah. Isa who was I think he's still has he just left I think he might have I made that sure. up I'm not sure anyway so up, de- definitely up until recently at least um, he was the sommelier for the Fat Duck and I'm sure by the end of it was involved in other restaurants yeah but um, he was amazing and I went one Saturday long story short I came in and did a blind tasting with him and he went through with me how he tastes wine which is just like how often how often do you get the chance to do that yeah exactly unbelievable Yeah. yeah so that was one of the many amazing things it was a real lesson for me that the fact that they let me go onto the floor and serve people and seat tables 
and at the end of the stage I was taking dishes out that is like a big deal yeah, yeah. For, in that restaurant and that was a real lesson in trusting people not to fuck up <laughs> because that could have really yeah, easily yeah, happened yeah, yeah, yeah. like obviously by the end of it by the time I was so for those that don't know the structure there was two sections there was a chef de rang on either side I think I can't remember section one and section two or the left and the right or something mm. and each chef de rang had a commie and so I was doing the commie in so you would take food to the table with people because the food all had to land at the same time but you would never announce the dishes because you could theoretically be asked a question a question yeah, and yeah. you had to know like the staff manual there was was inside it was like an encyclopedia it was yeah. the amazing amazing detail and um where do you get the vanillas for the vanilla where's mayonnaise? the vanilla from yeah yeah like, uh centuries uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. um so yeah so that's the theory behind yeah, it yeah. so by the end of it i can't remember i think it was the um ice cream with the red cabbage gazpacho yeah i love that yeah yeah the 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 mustard pomegranate oh pomegranate mustard ice cream with red cabbage gazpacho yeah, yeah. it was so delicious mm. i'm sure that was the one anyway i was allowed to pour the red cabbage gazpacho which in itself is terrifying mm. on all those white tablecloths and you've got this amazingly purple, purple yeah. liquid it's like if i spill this there's no that getting away from it twice a day like what for each service to make that fresh for each service it looked it it was unbelievable mm. um but yeah that was a real lesson in trusting people <laughs> They didn't know me. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah. Like, I, like, okay, they did by the end of it. But at the beginning, they just let me kind of slip in. And I guess they had to, to go with their cut. Co- they had to yeah, go with their gut feeling of, is this girl? And I guess the, the look at the... Prob- they look, definitely look looked at, into it. And look at tables and probably give you a, a, an easy table at first to see if how you handle it. Or put you it. on with the good chef de rang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rank. And then, okay, you handle that situation. You know, it's just management, isn't it, at the end of the day? Can I just say, do you remember we went for dinner? Yeah. And then I remember I broke the tape. I broke, broke the, the chair. chair. That was another that was lesson in seamless, seamless that was, I was like, service. So I thought, I was like, I was like, fuck, was that the chair? Like, yeah, it was. So for those that haven't seen the restaurant, it is teeny tiny. And a lot of the chairs are stored in the attic. So one of the jobs in between service is to, obviously once the tables are configured, get It's the, an old cottage. Yeah, it's an old cottage, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. it used to be, was it a pub? Yeah, but it's like it, a cottage It's a cottage, style, isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so we'd gone in for dinner. They they got us a booking for dinner. So I was meant to work that night and someone was like, I'll oh, go and see so-and-so outside. And I went outside and he was like, go home, get ready and come back for dinner. I was like, yes, win. And so we came in for dinner, which was unbelievable. And you were like, right, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Kind of shimmied out of your seat as you do, but it was like an old, it was a wooden framed seat, wasn't it? Well, they're just, they're not like restaurant chairs, are they? They're like... It was like a dining room like chair. a dining room chair, yeah, exactly. Like, and it, obviously they get sat on all day, every day. And it was just the moment, you know, and I'm like 100 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> full of beer, well, full of champagne and food. And I just pushed back too hard and it, and it snapped. And the leg went. Yeah. But that was another... They changed it and you didn't, know, you didn't even know that they changed it. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, and yeah, exactly. I come back and it was like, it wasn't broke. So I thought, oh, well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it, and it just creaked or whatever else. <laughs> and you're like, the chair broke. Oh, <laughs> it was so embarrassing. And then I went in the next day and I think Robbie or Robbie Chestnut was like, did you break the chair straight off the bat? <laughs> Which was good. 
yeah just get it out you know and I was like I'm, yeah he's like oh don't and then they, were, then they were really cool like don't worry about it it happens all the time you know it's fine you know it couldn't have happened within a nicer bunch of people yeah exactly oh, what a team so then we go back to Sydney and after doing the little bit of the wine and you know getting a bit interested in it we you started the Rock Pub and Grill I think one of your initial goals was to get onto the wine team, right? When I was at Rockpool, on the original Rockpool on George Street, I'd seen a girl go from being a waiter to a som, and I was like, okay, so she's done it this way. Like, how, so what, how do you do that? So that's where that takes me where we're going to say. What, so what was the journey? Like, what was the beginning steps of getting that sommelier role, position or, you know, career? How do you get into it? Yeah, how, um, how, you, how, what was the, how did you go about it? There's so many different ways, I guess. But for me, the first thing that people tell you when you say, I want to get into wine, they just say, taste as much as you can. So, I mean, we're in Melbourne, so there's a lot of opportunity to do that so it would depend on where you live but certainly if I was to start all over again and do it again in Melbourne I went to Prince Wine Store every Saturday they do free tastings there's heaps of other places that that do the same thing there's more and more wine shops opening all the time so there's always an opportunity I know Boccaccio around the corner from here does it um, there's another one in Brun- another wine store in Brunswick there's a Prince Wine Store in Essendon there's you know, you've got the Yarra Valley, you go to Cellar Doors, Mountain Peninsula, Cellar Doors. I mean, you can't move for them yeah, in yeah. Victoria. It's unbelievable, really. So that was key. And I was like, but what am I tasting? What am I tasting? And it's kind of, it's hard when your base level of knowledge is so low, you don't really know what you're tasting, but gradually the puzzle starts to build and you can start saying, okay, yeah, maybe that's a Chardonnay. Yeah. Or like, you know, especially around here, you can taste as many Chardonnays as you want and yeah, you know yeah. so but um i was lucky at the time when i kind of started to show an interest at rockpool ben richards was the sommelier there yeah um and he he was not far from leaving him and his wife tiff were going back to europe for a while but he was one of these people that has an amazing capability as a teacher so he's not just someone who knows a lot about wine he really knows how to translate it to whoever whoever he's talking that's great because not yeah exactly in all industries some people can be super smart but just can't bring it down can't translate it yeah Yeah. you know can't break it down and we've all seen that teacher in school that's like amazing in their field but terrible yeah but Uh, he was the opposite yeah well he was amazing in his field and he could really bring it down to everyone's level so he took it upon himself to do a wine course well, for I did the it. staff, I, which yeah, you did, yeah, did yeah. That, yeah. So it was open to chefs and front of house, yeah. and that was kind of a, a bit more than introductory. But you, you already had West at this point. I'd already done, yeah. So one or two. I skipped that, so I'd just done three. So the so there's one, two, and three. And there's actually four as well, oh, which okay. is like an oh, another ball game altogether. Okay. Um, so for those that haven't done any wine qualifications like that, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust is i think it started in london but it's an internationally recognized wesset wesset wine and spirits education trust okay yeah. i think yeah i probably should have checked that out before i quoted it but i'm i'm pretty sure that's yeah. what they stand for so they're one of the international bodies that i guess assess people level one we'd actually done back at jesmond dean yeah, house yeah, so dave yeah. borick was the sommelier there and he was yeah. another amazing teacher yeah. and he um he did one and two I think I'd done two there. I just did one. You did two. I did. I just. Did I did one. two, but kind of. I. I mean, this is what. What year was that? I think, Bloody hell! Yeah. Like twelve years ago now. Yeah, so, yeah. I did it, but I didn't have a full grasp of it. So, um, 
I guess I, this is where your languages come in, uh, come in handy, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, that was pretty handy, actually. The whole, like, remembering foreign yeah, names I, of wines. I, or even just understanding it and being able to translate that person's name or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. It just sticks a bit better. The pronunciation, because <laughs> I think, like, I don't know, you can pronounce things really wrong. Yeah. I was going to say. I did have it that. It took me ages. White Burgundy. That, do you remember? We used to always <laughs> laugh about that. I, that confused me for years. Like, White Burgundy. How is it White and, and Burgundy? Burgundy? I was like, this is really bizarre. Is this like some... Cra- I, just did, I didn't know. And no one had actually... You know, I need to be, it needs to be spelled out to me. But yeah. Well, rightly so. Yeah. So then... So you were doing the... the you'd already had your left Westert one that we did 12 years ago. Oh, the one and two you did a few years earlier. One and two and back did in the day. And you three in Sydney? Three in Melbourne? Three I did in Melbourne. Three so in the Melbourne. Prince Wine Store. And there's other places that do it now, but I think they were one of the only ones at the time that were doing that sort of education. So Rockpool kindly let me switch my roster around, which meant I was free on the eve... Because it was a Monday evening, and that was usually one of my days to work. So they... I rejigged my roster and did that every Monday for a few months. And that was great because we were being taught by masses of wine and like really top people. Um, and then we had a written and a tasting component of the exam. And then, so I did that. So that's like, it certainly doesn't prepare you to be a sommelier, but it gives you- A little bit more knowledge. A bit more knowledge knowledge of the it's a huge it's a huge subject is it it's just unbelievable yeah and then it's it's one it's it's kind of good and it's kind of bad because the more you find out the more you realize you don't know yeah so it's like it's really good because you think well i can study this forever and i'm never going to get bored of it because there's always going to be something else but at the same time it's pretty daunting it's like starting a marathon that you're never going to finish yeah like so it's i mean it's it's amazing don't me wrong it's such an interesting topic and you can I mean it can take you around the world and that's one of the other good things about hospitality in general is you can travel with it really easily yeah um, and you were doing the tastings on a Saturday as mm, well yeah so the um, David Lawler was um, the beverage director for Rockpool and and they let me sit in on their weekly tastings on a Saturday so I think I was silent for most of the time because yeah. it's pretty intimidating for sure you know David Lawler's like and the other Such. guy, it's, it's quite competitive as well, is it? Well, not within that. It was a small, I think there was only four full-time SOMs plus David. But they're all, that's four high-level SOMs. Yeah, yeah, who know what they're doing. Who Qualified. are really accomplished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, no matter what, you even if, even if you know, it's, so I'm doing a room and you are a bit intimidated in that sense and you do know the answer and you know fine well you know the answer and you're still too nervous to oh, say the answer. Absolutely, yeah. So there was... the. In addition to Wessett, there's also the Court of Master Sommeliers. Yeah. So those two organisations kind of run in parallel, I think. So some people seem to take the path and do one and become a Master of Wine with Wessett, or they become a Master Sommelier with the Court of Masters. All oh, right, okay. So I think, I've got it in my head that there might even be someone out there who's done both. Whoever that is, is like some kind of wine, I could be making that up. But, um, but yeah, so I did the sort of the entry level one of that which was almost as terrifying as moving to Italy because I had to stand up in a room full of about 50 people and do a blind tasting (laughs) and try and guess what the wine was which and red and white just didn't cut it (laughs) red not fizzy wine was not an appropriate answer tasty 
It, one of them I got and the other one I didn't. Oh, well, that's... And you got it? One of them. Blind. I got the red, yeah. Because... Well, the, not the vin- not the vintage of that. They just... it, was a, um, it was a Shiraz from the Barossa Valley. I don't, it would probably never happen again. But the other one, I, don't, I can't even remember what the other one was. I've probably just deleted it from my memory because it was so traumatic. But I was being um, you like, quizzed oh, by... <laughs> it wasn't even just like, was just have a guess. Or not, or was it Honestly, I can't remember. Yeah. But I do remember when I was doing the red tasting and it was Frank Moreau who is um, a master sommelier. At the time he was working for the Merivale Group, I think. I'm not sure if he's um, still there, but he's like obviously completely amazing and completely intimidating yeah and he was asking me the questions that I had to answer and all you're thinking is everyone in the room thinks I'm an idiot I don't know what to say what questions are you going to ask next and like I'd counted down you knew you coming I knew I was coming and oh. just god the beads of sweat I know honestly I was, was like really every horrific. time in English when you had to stand up and read honestly I could I'd go in and be like I'd try and sit I was like should I sit in the middle so maybe it wouldn't get to me that way or shit at the far end because it'll definitely not get to me but then it could start is that the end me. or is that the beginning yeah I was like fuck it's a bit man. of a lottery yeah so sometimes I just won't bother going <laughs> <laughs> yeah I had to, I paid to go to this so I had to go yeah um, but yeah the feeling of satisfaction was pretty good even though I didn't get um, so at the end of it you could have been accredited as a certified sommelier which I didn't get but even just like it sounds so cheesy but just taking part no but seriously no, it no, was you got, you like a I got a lot from taking part yeah, yeah. and it really spared me on to think okay I don't know it now but I might know it soon if I apply myself yeah so Rockpool was good for you in that really like yeah it was amazing yeah yeah, for yeah. Sure. tasted heaps of wines and, yeah. yeah and the guys were really good you kind of had to cut the, the sommelier thing a bit short yeah because you, you had a baby yeah and how was uh, how was the whole having a baby and in the industry because it's a you know it's nights it's you know it's it's, a, it's quite physical you do it you're covering a lot of kids yeah walking with a, with a belly and the, and the rest of it you know coming in above yeah how was that um throughout the pregnancy it was great like Rockpool were so good to me and us throughout the whole thing Shane Lazo and Maddie Morgan were my managers at the time and Vanessa um, Creighton was overseeing it all and they were all like amazing I couldn't have asked it was like textbook really good employers yeah like they were totally fine about it and I mean luckily it's not like an office say like if I had an appointment to go to for example chances are it could fit around my shifts it was going to be a morning appointment I was going to start for so I could just if it was a lunch shift I could just swap it so that wasn't you know it, it would maybe be different in a corporate Put you environment in the smaller sections things like that I was doing what I was like oh yeah I was that Tasting was in wine no wonder Monty's off his head <laughs> it was um that felt a bit weird somming as a pregnant person yeah yeah so I would yeah. just get other people to check the wine like I would have a sniff of it and if it was a really nice bottle I would have a taste but if it was you know a standard thing that just needed checking I could get someone else to check it or you can maybe yeah. just check by the nose anyway but um but yeah, it was, um, I got to the point, I was 25 weeks when I finished at Rockpool and it just got to that point and I was like, I can't do full time. I was just thinking to myself, I'm going to have to drop a shift because I was absolutely buggered. Yeah. When I wasn't there, I was so tired. Like for those that haven't been to Bar and Grill in Melbourne, it's a bloody big restaurant and you cover a lot of ground and like on a double, I would just be absolutely frazzled. And I noticed, actually, when I noticed it the most, you used to have to climb the wine towers a little bit. 
and I remember hoisting myself up and I was like, I'm going to bring this thing down. Like I felt so heavy, <laughs> um, which I wasn't massive by that point, but you're definitely yeah, carrying yeah. an extra, well, you're carrying an extra yeah. person. He wasn't that big But they were great. They, yeah, they were amazing. And I had to finish work quite quickly because of um, complications with the pregnancy. And it was literally a case of, I went to the hospital for a routine appointment and Maddie had actually said to me the day before, oh, are you concerned? I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's just a quick checkup. I'll be in at 5.45. And then, um, I know at four it was, because then I had to ring them from the hospital and I was like, I can't, I can't come into work. I'm staying in hospital. Like, this is not, this is weird. I don't know when I'm coming back, but I just, you're gonna have to cross me off. You never did, did you? And then I never went back. I went back to empty my locker, yeah. <laughs> which is a bit sad, but, Luckily, it is a big restaurant that can absorb yeah. things like it's that. It's not like a four-man team. Who it's really yeah, it, it's not exactly. It's not you're not you're in a big team, so yeah. they could absorb a lot of it. It's definitely not the way you want an employee to leave. Yeah, yeah. and it's certainly not the way that I want to, to go. You've been there a few years. How long have you been there? Three, uh, years, two, three, three years. Three years at that ish. point. So you're yeah, a big part of the team. So I like you say you never went back. Yeah, and you started your own business. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, it started out part-time and it's kind of evolved to become uh, full-time for both of us and now another full-time member of staff and a few part-timers. So again, I'm not sure if you've covered any of this in your no, bio nothing, or anything, but um, to give a very rough outline, we are a wholesale charcuterie company. So we hand make terrine, pate, Riettes, and now we're expanding into pickles and um, chutneys and that sort of thing um, to kind of offer a more comprehensive range. So we dabble with a bit of retail, but primarily the wholesale is the main focus of the business. Yeah. So we initially envisaged just retail, but it's kind of evolved to include food service as well. We're stocked in currently approximately 85 places in Victoria and New South Wales. Um, and how do you think that's split up between retail and food and service? And food service. I would say maybe 70-30. 70, 30. 70, 70 retail, retail, 30 food service. Because um, a, a lot of the, the retail is probably higher volume. So how did, how, did we, how did you... I guess there's two ways that you can start out, or certainly from, from a food point of view. There's the avenue where you've, you've got a premises like you've got an establishment where you need people to come and visit. So you have to have the initial shell out for rent and equipment, branding, a personality for the website, for the website, for the, for the business. Because ours was a product, it could kind of grow quite organically. Yeah. And so, the way that you're, the one that you're saying there, you need capital for that, right? for a premises to premises and all yeah. and to get that money you either need a backer yeah or a massive bank account yeah a massive bank account your own bank account or some sort of property or something what you can fix a loan yeah. alongside right is that right well you need finance of some sort yeah be that your own your family like you say a backer or a loan from the bank but the bank's not going to give you a loan Unless it's a personal loan, they're not going to give you a business loan unless they can... They'll give you a loan, but I think an unsecured loan is a lot higher interest rates. Yeah. And obviously... You're never going to pay it off. It's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, it's... I, d I haven't looked into it that much, so I certainly can't advise on it, but that's my understanding. Mm -hmm. We 
there are people that will offer you an unsecured loan, I'm sure. But the people that we spoke to wanted us to have some wanted it to be secured. So either a guarantor, which we didn't have because our families are all in the UK, or a property. And again, that's in the UK. So that kind of wasn't really an option. Yeah. So lucky we didn't want to open a restaurant because we'd still be scratching around for the pennies now. Yeah. So it was just slow progress, right? Slow. Yeah, it was just a case of shelling out everything yourself, shelling out for everything yourself initially. So basic equipment, your basic stock. You make something, you sell it. Well, what do you make it with? You've got to buy that. You've got to buy that pork. You've got to buy that pancetta. You've got to buy those pistachios or whatever else. Well, first of all, you've got to test it. So all of that just comes out of your pocket. Well, yeah, but test the product. You don't just make, it's not the first thing you make. Recipes and that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then it's things like getting registered with the local council. That'll cost you $500. It'll cost you more with with some, yeah. yeah. If you, like we started out with, farm, when we still do farmers markets, we didn't start out with them, but we're now with Melbourne farmers markets who are all accredited ones um, throughout the city. Um, you know, you've got your initial stall fees, you've got to buy a gazebo, you've got to buy tables. You know, you think it doesn't add up to much, but that's a few thousand. Van. Refrigerated van. You've got to, if you don't want to buy one, you've got to rent one. Yeah. And that's the thing as well, but until you've really tested it, you don't know whether you've got a product that is worth marketing so you're like well I don't want to buy I don't want to spend too much on this in case I just end up with it on eBay in a few few months time buy it sell it make make it be your money sell it that money would just go back into the business and we just self-funded it basically didn't we yeah so um somebody said to me because we'd done pop-up restaurants for a while as well that was a nice little thing on the side and it was in addition to your job yeah. So it was like a hobby. It was fun. This felt a lot more serious. I wasn't working anymore. And you get sort of paid parental leave or whatever, but that doesn't last long and it's not a huge amount. It's certainly better than nothing. So it felt from the outset like, right, this is, I don't know, more serious. Because we were serious about doing pop-up restaurants as well, but it felt like yeah, it was... We were never going to do a pop-up restaurant and then get a premises. That was never on the plan. This was, let's get some products out there. Let's... Yeah, this was the foundations. Yeah, so the question was was about the how did you get the money? You'd self fund going in, and then the money going that you were receiving from the other businesses, let's say, would go back into the business, and that's kind of instead of paying you back, that's is that is that right? Yeah. So yeah, what I was going to say was um, that I was speaking to someone, and they're like, "How's it going?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's good." And they said, "Oh, you know, it's a nice bit of pocket money for you." And I was like. There is no pocket money for a long time. Like you think, okay, okay, great. We've sold $500 worth of stock this week. And then you just realize that that's just got to go straight back into more trays because you take another customer. So you need more trays, more molds, more anything really, more store fees for a market. Like you don't see any of that money for a really, really long time. Then someone crashes a van. And then someone crashes the van and you <laughs> wave goodbye to that money exactly. you're looking forward to spending. Exactly, exactly. So what's been the biggest challenge in that? Would it be financially? Would that be the biggest challenge? Or Yeah, that's been huge. But I think that's kind of a given. Yeah. Like, I think anyone... I don't think you can expect to start a business and do very well off it for a very long time. Yeah. I think... And it's kind of like, somebody said this to me three months after having a baby. They said, the first three months, it's just about survival. And survival. I was like, well, maybe survival of you and the baby, but like 
just get by like it's fine yeah, don't yeah. worry about it and I think that's you do have to worry about it in business and when you're looking after a newborn baby but you know Richard Branson it's all about surviving in the early days yeah he's, it's he's, so true because on the, I think it's on the Voom podcast so I mean it so that's a given challenge yeah I certainly didn't think we're going to go into this and get rich like that was <laughs> I still don't think that and it's yeah, yeah. we're in our we're coming into our fourth year yeah. so um, so that was definitely not assumed it'd be just nice to pay, pay Monty back <laughs> yeah we borrowed Monty's money maybe delete that bit what was I going to say that? so but what was the biggest challenge um, I found the whole thing a massive challenge there was nothing about this that I'd ever done before. That alongside having to keep a little person alive was um, too much, really. But yeah, there, w- there was none of it that I, that I had any experience in and none of it that I really knew anyone closely that had experience in either. So I couldn't go to a relative who was in accounts and say, hey, how did you do this? Like it was really a case of, doing everything pretty blind so you know we know we knew that we had a good product and we knew that it would translate well and then someone would say get a barcode and you're like what the freaking hell where the freaking hell do you get a barcode from like what is a barcode and then it, and then you go to try and get a barcode and you've got all these people who just deal with mega companies not some like person who's just sitting up until one o'clock in the morning trying to get this shit done like it's they just went we weren't talking the same language so that was a massive challenge yeah i guess just finding out how things happen but i'm sure that's the case for anyone who's who starts up in business really because more often than not you've got a product that you then have to get to market and it's just a case of trying to make that happen as quickly and as seamlessly as possible so um what technology has helped you out the most reckon if you could advise someone you must get this or you must get that you know what would you what would you say it would be hands down an account system account system we didn't have one for a long time because i didn't know what one was i just i mean so this is how so we had monty in the november he came out of hospital just before christmas january february we were trying to sort of get get a product get the product ready to go out and then March, we did our first delivery. And then it was like, right, we need an invoice. It's like, how the freaking hell do you write a tax invoice? So we went to Office Works and got one of those tax invoice books on the way to doing the drop-off <laughs> that has the, those carbon, the duplicate sheets in it. And that was, that was as technical as it got. Perfect. For, well, it was enough. Yeah, but, and, but and we deal with people now who still operate like that so yeah, it obviously yeah. works but we you got just, them branded do you remember <laughs> yeah then we got branded ones like woohoo yeah. going up in the world but I think you know that there are some people that, that operate like that and that's totally fine we didn't have the stuff behind the scenes to, to get that to operate seamlessly like I say I didn't know what an accounting system was basically and what do you use zero 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 x-e-r-o so yes, there's zero they're um New Zealand company. I think well they are originally, yeah, but I think they're not based in Hawthorne. Are they really? Yeah, like there's heaps of stuff that we use as based in Hawthorne. But anyway, don't again don't quote me on that. But um so that was invaluable. So someone said to me, get a bookkeeper. So a bookkeeper keeps track of all your paperwork for you. Zero enables you to do that yourself. So all of your incoming invoices 
or what they call bills, all of your outgoing invoices, that tracks all of that, when you need to pay your bills, when you're expecting your money, when to chase like, so is it overdue, is it not? You can put people on different payment terms. So there's a few different ones. I think the original one that a lot of people use is Myob, M-Y-O-B. There's now uh, QuickBooks I've seen around, but Xero's really good for small. I think as you get a bit bigger, my uh, we might move to Myob. I'm not sure when that would be, but Xero's been really good. I think it was- and It integrates with other things that we use as well, right? Like Fresho and different things. Yeah, it integrates with the ordering system that we use. It works out all the superannuation. I'm sure they all do this, but it works out all the superannuation for staff. It works out, it does all of your profit and loss reports. It does all of your, um, you know, you can break it down to weekly, monthly, annually, your balance sheets. And like, I would never have known how to pull up any of that information. Yeah, yeah. So now it means that I've got better control of our finances. Like I say, I didn't, have, I didn't know what one was or why it was important. So in the beginning, I just kept track of everything on Excel, which was good to get us going. Looking back, out, I, one less outgoing as well, wasn't it? You know, because yeah, it's, it's a monthly fee, isn't it? I think to start out, value. it was fifty dollars a month. Yeah, which it's completely worth its weight in gold. Yeah. I went to a bookkeeper, and it's like, well, how do you know what bookkeeper to go to? So I rang, I went old school and just rang a whole heap that I found online, um, just to get some different prices, and. I can't remember what the going rate is, but they just found out what all our hourly rates were. And there was this one lady who was, I said, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got no experience. I feel like I'm drowning. I just need some help. And she was like, don't worry, we'll help you come in. We'll show you how zero works, blah, 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 blah. So I went in and spent two hours with them and they showed me how, I just went in with like this massive pile of invoices. They showed me how it all worked. And then they're on hand if I have um, a problem, if I'm like, I don't know what, where you to allocate them, this right? to? I just ring them. Yeah, and they just charge you by the time on the phone. So if you're on the phone in twenty minutes, you get charged twenty, 20 minutes, like, whatever it is yeah. per hourly rate, but divided into mm-hmm. three or whatever it is. So that was, I mean, again, to start out with, it's just another expense, but it was something I wished I'd done earlier because it was one of those things that I was putting off because I was completely overwhelmed by yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So just getting into it. Yeah, but it's it's worked out fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what was, what's was what been your biggest um, business move, would you say? Going on it full-time, even yeah. though I was on it kind of full-time, but it becoming, City Larder becoming the sole income provider for yeah. our family was a pretty big move. Definitely. I should say at this point as well, and I'm sure you'll mention it in another time, Rockpool were amazing with letting City Larder and Rockpool be part of our lives at the same time yeah we were up front with them and everything they knew what everything they knew exactly what was going on Neil was really supportive Van was really supportive and um, yeah they were great so we were in a very fortunate position that we had very supportive employers but still it's daunting you know you've got a good salary coming in okay we'd already dropped mine so we were on one but City Lard isn't going to pay you what Rockpool's going to pay you yeah you just reminded me I didn't mention that we didn't have our own kitchen for the first 18 months first two years of the business yeah we used a share kitchen facility, which I didn't even know existed. Me neither. I don't know. Did you just come across it online? Mm. Commercial kitchens to yeah, hire? Yeah, to hire, yeah. No, um, oh, Josh Nicholson, I think, told me. So a friend told us that you can hire these commercial kitchens. Oh, yeah, because it was the one in the city. We started out at um, a place called My Other Kitchen in Bentley. Yeah. Run by Jane. And she was 
great as well, full of advice. Um, she helps out with loads of stuff, to be fair. With heaps, yeah. yeah. And looking back, like now, I would have so many more questions, but at the time, I didn't know what the questions were because we weren't at that point. Yeah, yeah. But she helped us out with the food lab, getting all the testing. We just dropped it off there, and he picked them up from there, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Up from the food lab, he got yeah. all that. And she showed us how to do that. That would have been a big challenge if it wasn't for her. Yeah, so long story short, we were registered at a share kitchen, so we would just book time slots yeah. each week. Store the stuff there. And we could store stuff there, and then, you know, ours with it being meat it's some people can register at home if it's a low risk product but this is high risk because it's meat so you know we had to be there so we did that for a while then that was a bit far for us to travel because we then moved so so then we went to a different commercial kitchen anyway so that was how we got the product out there without having our own kitchen yeah. and then built it to a point where we had enough business to justify the rent the equipment outlay you know when you started all this what was your idea of success at that point? Honestly, I had no idea. I did not know. I did not know my arse from my elbow. I was so tired from having a newborn baby that it was just a case of like head down and get on with it. And I think you were more the one that saw the bigger picture. So I guess at the time it was just like short term goals. Yeah. Like get 10 stockists. I think when we went into our first Christmas, we had about 20-odd stockists. Yeah. 25, maybe. It doesn't sound much, but it's still a fair bit of work. It's an absolute shitload of work yeah, when you're a in a share work. kitchen. Yeah, Bloody yeah, exactly. hell. Like, and it. working, you were still... You'd, you Had you gone part-time at Rockport? Full-time. That, that, first, that first Christmas, I think I was full-time. So, like, that's a fair... That's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. Seven days a week, isn't it? when you don't know what you're doing really yeah, exactly exactly um but i think it's one of those scenarios where if there's a lot to be said for having a plan and there's a lot to be said for not overthinking it because I'm if you overthink not, it i'm all about not overthinking it. yeah for sure 100 percent. get in there give it a go well you, you you do have to do that but you also have to have like you say well i had the idea of now i have the idea that we'll go into new south wales next year for example yeah so that's a, like, to me, that's a long-term plan. You're thinking about it. Yeah, but I'm saying at the beginning. Right, Don't okay, overthink yeah, yeah. it. Just get it going, get it going, get some people tasting it, get some feedback and work it out from there. And you'll know straight away, in my view, you, you'll know straight away. If you've got honest friends and you're honest to yourself, you'll find out pretty soon if it's, if it's going to work or if it isn't. It's really hard. Like that whole friend thing... We've been doing this for a few years and I'm certainly not professing to be an expert by any means. Just in my experience, like you see people start businesses on the basis that their friends say that it was really nice. And that's what we did. But you've really got to take a long, hard look at yourself and think, is this true? Or are they blowing smoke on my nice. ass? Yeah, they're being nice. Is your product good enough to make a difference in the market and special enough to make a dent in what is already a very crowded market. Yeah, yeah. You've got to make people part with their cash. And to do that, you've got to have something really good to offer. Definitely. You didn't, you say you didn't really have a... An idea of what success was. At the beginning, yeah, then. But now, what, you know, four years on, what, what, what does it look like? I guess, I don't know, I find it really hard to like monetize it. So. Like, it just changes all the time. So, in the beginning, I didn't know where it could go, really. I remember our first Christmas. So, we'd been going for nine months at that point. 
and my arse fell out when we got the orders. I was like, wow, okay, this is busy. This is a really good problem to have. And that's always been like, I'll never complain about that because the alternative is being terrified that you haven't got enough business. Mm. So once you get a bit more experience in like a bit more knowledge in terms of like, for example, for me, what orders to expect, then you can kind of get a better gauge of what success is because like, for me at the time, success, it was like kind of marked week to week by what revenue we were doing. And then you saw this massive spike at Christmas. And now you know that that happens. Whereas beforehand, I didn't even realize that that was gonna factor so much. Like that Christmas was gonna yeah, be yeah. so pivotal to our business. Yeah. Um, when really logically it's food and Christmas is food. So it kind of makes sense. Um, but now as time's gone on, I don't know, I'm more of like a short, I tend to think of it a bit more short term. So whether that's right or wrong, I don't know, but it was like, right, let's get the premises open. So we got the kitchen, we dabbled with a bit of retail. It's like, let's get that underway. And then that ticked over. And then it's like, right, retail isn't the path that we want to go down. We said, no, not now, thank you to the retail. Um, I'd just concentrate on the wholesale, you know, given our family circumstances and not, having a big network of support as parents means that we really need like that really restricts us a little bit I think yeah. in terms of hours and and that sort of thing so anyway so yeah short-term goals I think it was like right get the premises up and running and then now that we're concentrating on wholesale it's like right next thing we want to take on a full-time member of staff therefore we have to take on x amount release x amount more products and take on so many more stockists yeah Oh, short answer would have been five minutes ago would have been wouldn't I wouldn't have said any of that I would have said in five years time we'll have a much bigger kitchen yeah okay well, so I guess you're always working towards something bigger like even in the kitchen that we're in now we're thinking when we have a bigger kitchen so I guess that's your next long term goal or like when we distribute into Queensland yeah like I suppose that's something that I or we should probably do more of and what actually I hear a lot of people talk about is like specifically setting goals in clouds on the wall with bullet points and like yeah, people say, yeah, little yeah, bubbles yeah. like oh, I've had this idea um, it's but we'll verbalise it and say we want yeah, HACCP this year a little bit. yeah HACCP's a big one HACCP's a big one for sure yeah and things change as well like yeah things just change well anyway alright so briefly spoke about um, zero on the technology side Um off the back of that, we'll um, we'll talk about the books and things like cash flow and learning about cash flow and what is cash flow. I'll just make a disclaimer now that I am certainly no expert in this field. I can only go on the limited experience yeah. that I've had doing the books Four for our little in, business. Three years, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we're not not a trained accountant or anything like that. But what you've learned so far and how it works. So basically, accounting one hundred and one. I guess you don't want to be, well, for a start, you don't want to be spending more out than you're getting in. Yeah. For another thing, that's pretty obvious. What I learned quite quickly, maybe not quick enough, but what I learned over time was you can't be dishing out massive credit, but only getting given short credit yourself. I think um, what's, what really helped us was the farmer's markets and what still helps us is the farmer's markets. Yeah. And that really helped us when we initially got the 
the shop was the shop yeah, because yeah. people don't get credit customers don't get credit they pay there and then and the money's in your even if they pay by card the money goes in your bank at midnight so that definitely helped with overheads but I guess that's why it's helpful to have a couple of different revenue streams in that sense because you know you've got your wholesale that you do I mean you have to give out credit because otherwise you're not going to have customers it's nice to have that retail element in the form of the farmers markets that is cash that can help pay that week's bills yeah, yeah. essentially yeah some people pay COD bigger companies generally pay 30 days smaller companies pay. yeah it's good to have a good we, we've got a rate, a quite a mix. widespread so yeah, like yeah. bigger more established companies might say we want 21 days smaller companies might say I'll just give you cash because it's easier yeah and I'm here check. and it's done there and then some people want to pay by check 14 days seems to work pretty well across the board so yeah, I guess it's just having a bit of a balance with that. Um, marketing. What do you set a, a budget aside for marketing, or is it just as and when? And what marketing do you do? I don't think. I think there's probably some money in the budget for it, but to be honest, marketing is probably the most neglected area of what I do. It's one of those things that it's not a day-to-day essential. Well, it is really, but it, it, it's not essential in the day-to-day details of getting a product out the door. Mm. Like, it is when you look at the bigger picture because you need people to know about it to help. We all know the benefits of marketing, but it's one of those things that can easily go by the wayside. I do, I've got an ongoing promotion on Facebook, an ongoing advert on Facebook, boost posts once in a while, which again, doesn't cost a huge amount of money. The photographer, I guess, is, yeah, that it's kind of like sporadic though, isn't it really? It's not like, it's not booked in monthly at the moment yeah. or anything like that. But I can really see the appeal of having someone do your social media for you. Yeah. But it's just having that money spare. And it loses, do you know what I mean? loses a bit of its personal touch, in my view, a little bit. But I don't know, I think, I mean, this is, again, it's another conversation altogether, but things like Instagram are becoming increasingly commercial so how personal does it need to be yeah yeah um right we're gonna i want to finish up with a few quick fire questions best meal oh you know recent ones when we went to the fat dock when it came to melbourne the service was just completely blew me away um so is that it off the top of my head that's gonna have to be oh do you know when we went um 2007 it kind of wasn't really a meal but we went to um, Paris with Helen and Martin and we went to Fouchon or Fouchon I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it and we just got heaps of cakes um, and like cured meats and did we get parfaits and stuff as well and we just sat uh, on effectively a high bar stool outside on the street and just scoffed all this food and it was unbelievable yeah that was great Favourite chef or restaurant manager that, that's, you know... Maddie Morgan has to go down as one of the biggest legends ever Maddie that Morgan. I've worked with. So for those that don't know her, she's front of house and has she's just unbelievable. I want to try to, and get her on the podcast. To be served by her is the biggest treat. Yeah, she's And she, um, she was uh, one of the managers when I was at Rockpool and she just like taught me so much yeah she's in, great she i think we probably day. only worked together for about 18 months maybe oh no probably longer than that a couple of years and like her approach to hospitality is was like no one else's that i've ever met and also um eric oh, 
surname pronunciation, Eric Doer, or Doer, who was the restaurant manager when I was at the Fat Dork. His professionalism was just like unbelievable. He had a great tie, I remember. Uh, fridge staple? Schultz Organic Full Cream Milk. We cannot have a fridge without it. It's <laughs> the best. Uh, go to drink? Alcoholic? Go to glass of champagne. Oh, gin and tonic. Gin and tonic? Probably gin and tonic. And favourite takeaway? Used to be Indian and now I'm going to say Thai. So that's it. Thank you very much. No problems. Thanks that's for having really me. No problem. If you enjoyed the show, please share with friends or give us a rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app. And until next week, have a good one.